The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If I could have maybe an usher or two help distribute the study sheets. While that's taking place, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Let's look at Romans chapter 11 together. And uh, begin reading at verse number 1, if you'll read with me. Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee, to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, even that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of grace that we are studying, and we just thank you, Lord, for your, for your love for us and your, uh, your watch care over us, and we have confidence today to know, Lord, that, that we are secure in Christ and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. As you told Paul, your grace is all we need. So let us, let us learn to live and walk in your grace. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about the grace of God. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I just want to clarify something I said. When, when I teach, often when I teach, I, 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 um, I take a real strong line on doctrine. And I don't apologize for that because I think that's what we need to hear. We need to hear truth. Regardless of how it feels to us, we need to hear truth. But I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned uh, uh, an article uh, or a, a statement written in a book by a Baptist preacher, a fundamental Baptist preacher I know, in which he wrote, God has done all that he can do for you. It is now up to you. And I made the statement that with that theology, what that philosophy teaches us, is that God cannot effectually save us. He can only make salvation available. And then he must sit back and he must wait for us to make a decision. And uh, of course, we all know that that is not true. That we know that God's grace is effectual. We know that his will and purpose is to save his elect saints. And that he does accomplish just that without any participation on our part. So what I said was that that philosophy is 
heresy. And it is heresy. It is heresy to teach that God cannot save you without your consent. That is not, that is not scriptural truth. That is, that is heresy. Now, that was mistaken by some people that I was saying these people are heretics who teach that. Uh, let, me, let me clarify. I, I know a lot of fundamental Baptist preachers who, who believe that very thing I, and teach that very thing I just said. However, uh, I would never label them a heretic, for they are, they are correct in many of the aspects of salvation, such as assurance, we can't lose our salvation, and, and, and things such as that. So I'm not, I'm not calling these people heretics, okay? I want to clarify that. I'm not labeling these people heretics, but, but you don't have to be a heretic to, to, to mouth heresy. And so that's what's happening in a lot of our Baptist churches. And of course, if you come on Sunday evening, pastor's been teaching about the history of the church, and we can see how the church began to be infiltrated with these Arminian philosophies. And so some of our most core doctrines have been corrupted. And, and so that's, that's was what I was saying. Uh, certainly, we have a, a free will, and, and, and that free will is exhibited daily by all of us. Uh, however, we cannot, we, our free will cannot act outside of our nature. Therefore, since the nature of man is to sin, we will always choose for the side of sin. And were it not for the effectual grace of God that saved us and regenerated us and brought us to repentance and faith, we would never exercise our free will for God. We would always exercise our free will against God. So the free will of man does not affect our salvation, although we do at the moment of, of regeneration, repentance, and faith, which all take place at the same time, we do effectually choose to, to receive Christ. We do effectually choose. But we choose not by our own will or by our own wisdom, but we choose because God has made it effectual within us to choose. He has imputed to us the nature of Christ. And therefore, we can make that choice. Otherwise, no man would be saved without that. So I wanted to clarify that because I don't want people to think that I'm certainly don't want people to think that I'm calling many of our good Baptist brethren heretics simply because they they believe in decisional regeneration and and they need to be corrected on that, of course. Uh, but they, they, they teach a lot of things right. And I believe a lot of them are truly God's children. They're just they're just confused and and they're misled by by their their forefathers who, who, who have who have corrupted themselves with unpure doctrine. So, that all being said, let's continue with our study today. Last, last time we met two weeks ago, we talked about grace defined, and we talked about grace diagrammed, and we, we looked at some different things. Now I want to start, I want to start another section of this, and it's going to take me probably two or three or four lessons to, to get through this little section, and that is grace described. Grace described. Um, we read a moment ago from Romans chapter 11, verses 5 through 7 stated, Even so that at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Uh, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But it be of works, uh, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Uh, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. In other words, what he's saying is Israel hasn't found that 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 salvation that they're seeking uh, because they're blinded, and we'll, we'll, we we looked at that. 
uh, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So, we're talking today about the grace of, of Jesus, the uh, grace of God. I love that song, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And I love to sing that. We sing it on Wednesday evening sometime. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall my praise begin? And, and that's <clears throat> truly a difficult thing, is to describe the grace of God. But I fear far too many believers today do not understand the magnitude of the grace of God. They do not understand the depth of the grace of God. I fear far too many believers today talk about the grace of God, but have no real concept of what they're talking about. It's kind of like the phrase, thank you. We say that all the time, don't we? We're taught from children, always say thank you. And, and we say it so, so easily today. Do any, do any of you have any trouble saying thank you? Huh? No, you go to a restaurant and you sit there and waiter brings you a glass of water. Thank you. And or they, they bring you another fork. Thank you. Right? They bring you a bill. You don't thank them when they bring the bill. But other than that, other than that you're so thankful. But are, are we really thankful? Are we really thankful? Or are we just mouthing a courtesy? Uh, I love you has become one of those phrases today. People say, I love you all the time. I love you. But do we really love them? Uh, do we really feel love for that person we're saying, I love you too? Or is it just, is it just a common phrase that we use out of courtesy, just a, just a nicety? So when we, as believers, when we talk about the grace of God, do we really understand what we're talking about? Have we ever taken the time to really look into the depth of God's grace? Or do we just, do we just comprehend it as just, just a, a quaint term to, to, to refer to our salvation? So I, I want to I really try to describe God's grace. Now the only course is through his word. Because in my human wisdom, I could never describe God's grace. Only God's word can describe his own grace. Only God's word can tell us of himself. So let's go to the word of God to find some descriptions for the grace of God. First, let me say this this morning. Grace is great. Grace is great. And when I say great, I don't mean just super cool and fantastic and wow, this is really great. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's grace is is effectual, it's meaningful, it's, it's meaty, it's, it's solid. Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, we read, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, in this particular passage, that word grace is properly interpreted as favor. It would, it would more effect, more meaningfully be, be identified as the word favor. So, given that, we can see that God gave the apostles favor. His grace imparted to them favor with, with people. And we see this, uh, both, God, both with God, uh, favor with God as evidenced by the power granted to them to perform the work of the ministry. In Acts chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse eight, we read, "But ye shall receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. God's word said that, told the apostles that they would receive power when? When would they receive power? After who had come upon them? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's power imparted to you and I. Now, this morning as we sit in this room, do we possess the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. Therefore, what do we possess? God's God's power. Sometimes Christians tell me, you know, boy, I wish I could I wish I could have been like I wish I could be like the apostle Paul. Well, you can be. God hasn't limited his power in you any more than he limited his power in Paul. It's the same spirit that is in you that it was in Paul. It's the same grace imparted to you that was imparted to Paul. The problem isn't, isn't God's power. The problem is what? Our philosophy, our attitude. The problem is me. I, I, don't, I don't give myself to the Lord the way Paul did. I don't dedicate my heart the way Paul did. I don't, I don't fix my mind the way Paul did. When people talk about God as no respecter of persons, this is really what he's talking about. This is what's really meant. God doesn't limit his power upon Randy any more than he limits his power upon, upon Brian. Brian and Randy can both possess the power of God in the Holy Spirit. And they can be effectual witnesses and they, they can go forth and they can proclaim witness for Christ and they can affect the work of the ministry. So can, so can Carla, so can Ricky, so can Steve, so, so can Gary, so can me, so can you. So, so we see that uh, we have found great favor in, in God as evidence of the power that he's imparted to us. But we can also see this, uh, that he's given us great favor with men. Yes, with men. And that's, this is evidenced in the testimony of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we read, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should believe. Now here, God's talking about his people going out into the, out into the, the community, out into the highways and hedges. And, 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 and the scripture tells us that God gave them favor with the people. Now, true enough, we're not going to find favor with all people. True enough, there are those that hate God enough that they're going to hate you. That's absolutely true. But have you ever stopped to think about how, how there are some people that just automatically receive you and, 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 and trust you and will listen to you? That always amazed me. Over the years, I was, I'd work in the bus ministry. I'd go into areas where nobody knew me. They didn't know me from Adam. And I would walk through these mobile home parks and I'd walk through these apartment complexes and kids would come over and, and we'd do puppet shows and people would come out and they'd sit there and they'd watch us. And, and I was always amazed at how those people would receive us with such favor and how we would, we would talk to them about taking their child from their home, putting them on a bus with us and taking them 40 or, or in some cases 50 miles to go to church. 
And they would say, sure, no problem. And I used to say, I couldn't imagine, personally, I couldn't imagine letting my children get on a bus with a complete stranger and go 40 or 50 miles to go to church. But yet we, we always, we had, we had 60, 70, 80, several times we had over 100 children on one bus. And, and what was that? That was the grace of God. That was God's favor. It was great favor. It was, it was abundant. It was, it was powerful favor. Now, it, it's notable here to, to mention that in the, ter- in the scriptures, the same Greek word is used in both verses for the words grace and favor. So then it is obvious that, that the grace that we discussed last time we met is free and unmerited favor of God, and it's imparted equally and freely to all of God's children. And this is not just any favor, it is great favor. Now Webster offers 25 variant definitions to describe the adjective great. But I think the, the most appropriate when we talk about applying it to, to, to the grace of God is this. The sense of great is to be understood by the things it is intended to qualify. Great pain or great wrath is violent pain or violent wrath. Great love is ardent love. Great peace is entire peace. A great name is extensive renown. Great sin or evil is a sin of deep malignity and so forth. And Webster explains to us that when we talk about great grace, we talk about boundless, endless grace, endless favor with God. So let us say that Great grace is unrestricted favor. Paul states this in Scripture. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he writes, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So we have unrestricted favor with God. Yes, we do. We are not bound. You and I today are not bound by uh, the, the Ten Commandments, so to speak. By, by virtue of our redemption, we do not come under the judgment of the Ten Commandments. All things are lawful for me. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. So, would this be a license to sin? Since I'm under grace, is it okay for me to lie? Is it okay for me to steal? Is it okay for me to commit murder? Is it okay for me to be envious and covetous? Well, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul says, should we live a life of sin so, so people will see how, how, how 
abounding grace is, that no matter what we do, we're always forgiven. He says in verses 8 through 11, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. No, 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 no. Grace is not a license to sin. In fact, grace places us under a greater law. We're not under the law of Moses. We are under the law of Christ. We are under the law of grace. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. No, no. We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of grace. And that puts a greater burden upon us to walk in righteousness. Because, listen, unsaved man cannot walk in righteousness. Do you understand that? Natural man, lost men, cannot walk in righteousness. But... By virtue of, our, of the grace of God, by virtue of our salvation in Christ, we are made a new creature and we are given the ability, we are given the authority by God and the power to walk in righteousness. It's my motivation to do good. Now, it is equally important for us to note that with great privilege or with favor and, the great, favor and grace of God, with great privilege comes great responsibility in Luke chapter 12 uh, Luke writes and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes but he that uh, knew not and and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes now here's my point for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required The Word of God tells us that when we're given much, much is required. We've been given great favor. We've been given the grace of God. Therefore, there is much required from you and I concerning our holy living, concerning our walk in righteousness. So grace, first this morning, grace is great. And my attempt this morning at at illustrating that, I I know, comes far short. But But I hope that we have a better understanding of the magnitude of the favor and power that we've been given by God. But then secondly, this morning, I want to say that grace is sovereign. Grace is sovereign. Romans chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin did abound, grace did abound much more. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life 
by Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, Paul, uh, here uh, Jesus is explaining that by the sin of Adam, all, all men uh, became sinners. The, the sin nature was passed on from man to man through the sinful act of Adam. But through the redeeming work of Christ, righteousness has passed from Christ unto the, the, those that God has saved through his grace, his elect saints. And because of, the, because of the death of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, you and I today can walk and live in holiness. We can be holy before God, not by virtue of our flesh, not by virtue of our experience, not by virtue of our wisdom, but by virtue of the grace of God, the favor and power of God placed upon us and the nature of Christ imputed into our hearts and minds. We understand that to be sovereign is to possess supreme authority. When we say that God is a sovereign God, it means that God has ultimate authority over all things. He is subject to no one, and all things are subject unto him. Therefore, in its application to grace, when we talk about sovereign grace, we would talk about grace that is supremely efficacious, uh, superior to all others, predominant, effectual as a sovereign remedy. Now, to be efficacious means to produce or capable of producing the intended result or having a striking effect. So when we talk about God's grace being efficacious, what it means, what it's, what it's implying is that if God in his sovereign will has chosen you as his elect child, you cannot resist the calling of God. It's in his will and purpose to save you. Therefore, God himself regenerates you. You will not resist his call. You will exercise your free will, if you will, and receive Jesus as your savior. So the, the effectual call, the regeneration, the repentance, and the faith all take place together. Some teach, well, yeah, God calls you, then maybe many months will go by, and then, he'll re- you, then you'll, you'll answer, and then he'll regenerate you, and then you, you, you'll, you'll live by faith. No, that's not the way it happens. In his own plan, in his own will, in his own purpose, in his own time, the Holy Spirit re- re- quickens us, makes us alive. Uh, the, the illumination, we are enlightened to God, Our will and nature is changed. We repent, we receive Jesus by faith, and we're saved. In the twinkling of an eye. Not not over six years. God's grace is sovereign. It will produce the intended result. It will have a striking effect on your life. Romans chapter 6 Paul writes, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin cannot rule your life unless you allow it to. 
as a, as a true child of God, as a truly born-again person, I've said this many times. I used, to, I used to say it to our teenagers once a week. You don't have to sin. Get that out of your head right now. The devil doesn't make you do it. You don't have to sin. You choose to sin. For the believer, sin is a choice. We choose to sin. Because the word of God says that sin cannot have dominion over you. Sin cannot rule over you. Sin cannot control you. But if you, Paul said, if you yield your members to sin, (laughs) then it will control you. And it will dominate you. But that is not the efficacious will of God. To say that grace is sovereign is to say that our lives are effectually governed by the attributes of God's grace. And they are. Now, it is of interest to note here, uh, to note that this confirms God's sovereignty in grace when applied to salvation. The efficacious nature of God's grace produces his intended result in our election, regeneration, and repentance unto eternal life. And further, these attributes are manifested in the life of a believer that is yielded unto the Spirit of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So we need to learn to exercise our liberty, if you will, exercise our liberty under grace to walk in righteousness, understanding that sin cannot control me. You know, when I came to grips with this many, many years ago, it transformed my life. It really did. Because I lived under the delusion, as a newborn babe in Christ, I lived under the delusion that I couldn't control my flesh. And, and, and trust me, many, many, many believers live that way today. They, they just don't understand that they can say no to the flesh. You know, if you think about it, before you ever do anything you shouldn't do, you have a chance to do what? To say no. You have a chance to say no. We're we're usually not surprised when we do something wrong. We, We do it with intent. We had a chance to say no. We had a chance to stop and say no. We had a chance to say, Lord Jesus... Take this away from me. Strengthen me. Help me to overcome this temptation in my life. Now, how many of you honestly think if you go to Jesus and pray that and ask for that, he's not going to answer that? Of course he's going to answer that because it's to the will of God and he glorifies the Father. Before we do wrong, we have a chance to say no. We just don't want to say no because we want to, we want to satisfy the flesh. Because we still live in what? In this body. And this body possesses what? A sinful nature. And until this corruptness shall put on incorruption, and until this corruptible shall be eaten, swallowed up in incorruption, I face the temptations of this flesh every day. And so do you. And it's when, we, it's when we fail to remember that it is by the grace of God that we walk in his favor, uh, we will succumb to the will of the flesh and its nature. 
But God's grace is sovereign. We need to learn to yield to the Holy Spirit. This is what is meant when we talk about the Spirit-filled life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, lists the fruit of the Spirit. It lists the attributes of the life of one who has yielded himself to the Holy Spirit of God and walks in the wisdom of the Spirit and walks in righteousness and not in the flesh. So yielding to the Spirit will cause us to do those things that demonstrates obedience to God and his will. This obedient life will yield the peaceable fruit of the Spirit-filled life. So God's grace is sovereign and will lead us into righteousness. When we walk in sin, we are not exercising the grace of God because God's grace is sovereign and it will always lead us into truth. But then thirdly this morning and lastly, I want to say that grace is rich. Grace is rich. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, I'm out of time this morning, so I'm not going to have time to finish this point. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up next time. There, there are, I want to look, next time we meet, I want, I want to talk about the exceeding riches of God's grace. And we'll look at how these riches of grace affect our lives in two separate areas. All right, folks, thanks for coming this morning. It's time for us to dismiss, so uh, we'll see you back here in 10 minutes. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.